The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Technology and adjusting values of success and happiness are changing the way we live and work. If you are a homeowner, aspiring homeowner, or business professional, these transitions are affecting your real estate decisions now. Welcome to the future of real estate with Jessica Stoner. Jessica and her guests will key you into the technological evolution and other factors that will affect all aspects of real estate, your home and community of the future. Now, here is your host, Jessica Stoner. Welcome. I'm glad you could join today. You're listening to the future of real estate. I'm your host, Jessica Stoner. Be sure to be notified of future shows by visiting realestatefuture.ca and click on the Be Notified tile. This, you can also listen to past shows on the same site. And remember, I'm happy to connect you with a suitable realtor in your area. Again, realestatefuture.ca, just click on the Let Me Help tab. Today, we're talking about urban farming. Urban farming includes everything from full commercial farms in the inner city to people growing their own food in their community gardens, their backyards, their balconies, even in their home. The growing need for people to take back some control over what they consume will affect many homes and neighborhoods in the future. We're just at the beginning now, but food production in and around the home in the neighborhood will become ubiquitous as this need becomes more pronounced. There's more awareness now about the lack of nutrients in the soil in mass farming. But for small farms and gardens, it's the simplest thing to compost and create nutrient-rich soil that in turn creates higher nutrient foods. There's also the desire for families to create a bond and awareness for their kids to the food they eat. Just think about it. How many children in the cities and the suburbs are there out there right now who have never once picked food from the ground or from a bush or from a tree and eaten it? Some of my fondest memories I have as a child is picking snow peas from one of my granny's many, many gardens and eating it right there. I remember picking zucchini and squash and tomatoes and even asparagus with my granny. And I realize now that I was unconsciously garnering an understanding about food and how it grows. The connection with one's food nowadays has, for many, been lost. And it's becoming important for people to reestablish that and introduce it to their children. In addition, there's also the desire to be self-sustainable to some degree and not be totally 100% dependent on others for something as important to us as our food. This is also part of the drive increasing urban food production. Knowing your farmer and how your food was grown is important to many, 
as is the desire to create less of a carbon footprint on the earth and buying truly local food with little or no transportation requirements. All of these are many factors leading to this movement. And really, who wouldn't want lettuce growing on your rooftop if it's an option? (laughs) Today, we have two fantastic guests who will share and expand on these thoughts. We have Gwen Chance from Brooklyn Grange, an inner city commercial farm in New York City, growing produce on two different building rooftops. Then we'll be chatting with Carmen Lamaro with Urban Farm Permaculture Project in Calgary, Alberta. Carmen teaches people how to grow their own food in and around their home and their communities. We're, we have Gwen Chance with Brooklyn Grange with us now. Gwen is a co-founder and the chief operating officer at Brooklyn Grange. This is a renowned urban farm in New York City. She's the head of the company's design and installation division, is a licensed general contractor, and has expertise in the design and construction of green roofs, green walls, and other vegetated installations. You can reach Gwen and Brooklyn Grange at brooklyngrangefarm.com. You can reach them on Facebook. The name is Brooklyn Grange and Instagram as well, also Brooklyn Grange. Gwen, thanks so much for being here to talk with us today. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Can you start us off by giving us an idea of what urban farming is? Sure. Uh, Like you said in the introduction um, very, very well, the urban farming uh, industry kind of ranges from commercial rooftop farming and ground-level commercial uh, urban farms to home gardens, terraces, um, even community gardens and small plots that you'll see people growing out in front of their homes or even in tree pits. Uh, So it is a really wide-ranging community. The industry that we are really a part of at Brooklyn Grange is the commercial farming uh, world where we are growing and selling vegetables from our urban farms, just like you would from a farm in a rural area. The only difference is we're located in a city, and in our case, we're located on rooftops. Which has got to be extremely unique, and uh, you seem to be very much on the forefront of urban farming because you don't hear a lot of them. Can you tell us how that works, Doing a f- having a commercial farm on an inner city rooftop building or building a rooftop of a building? Yes, uh, it is unique for sure. And most people throughout the U.S. and Canada and, and around the world really have not been to or seen an urban farm or even a rooftop farm uh, yet. But it is a growing field. And I think we'll be seeing more of them in the future. Um, In our case, we use a pretty conventional green roof technology, which basically means we lay down a series of membranes and protective coverings on a roof surface, and then we simply dump soil all over the top of that. Um, So we're covering as much of the roof as possible with soil, and then we lay down irrigation lines, we put in some pathways for walking, and then we grow vegetables. Um, So if you didn't know you were on a roof, uh, and you didn't see the skyline or the, the building below you, um, you would think you were just on any farm outside of the city. Um, it looks pretty much like any small farm that you've ever been to. Um, there are other ways of growing commercially in New York City and in other cities. Uh, 
many of the startups now that are working in the urban farming sphere are focusing on hydroponics, okay. uh, which means they're growing without without any soil. They use water and nutrients uh, to grow to grow plants in an indoor controlled environment, typically in greenhouses, but sometimes in warehouses or in um, indoor spaces where they have to use artificial light. Uh, so we're pretty unique even within the urban farming world because we're doing commercial large-scale rooftop farming using soil, uh, which is a little bit more in tune with natural systems, um, composting. Uh, we we take advantage of a lot of environmental benefits that you get from green roofs, such as stormwater retention, um, lots of support of local biodiversity and wildlife, uh, things that you just don't really accomplish with a closed climate, uh, yeah, an enclosed climate controlled environment, greenhouse growing scenario. Are there other advantages to having a green roof? Um, you had talked about uh, stormwater retention, which is helpful so it doesn't flood the, uh, the sewers all at once. Um, I think it helps retain heat. Is that correct? <clears throat> yeah, there is an insulating value to the green roof for sure, uh, mostly with uh, cooling the building more than retaining heat. But okay. when you put down a thick layer of soil on a rooftop, you are getting a fair amount of insulation from that. Uh, so we do keep the building a little bit warmer in the wintertime, and we help to cool it, most importantly, in the summertime. Is there a reason why this isn't done more often? It seems like it would be a benefit to the owner and the residents of the buildings. Uh, we are seeing growth in the green roof industry, not so much in rooftop farming yet. There are some limitations when it comes to the structural integrity of the building. So most roofs are not designed uh, for these heavy green roof systems. Um, most green roofs just grow ornamental plants, and they have a number of environmental benefits. Uh, but when you're building a green roof for agricultural use, the soil must be a fair amount deeper than with an ornamental green roof. Right. So our green roofs are pretty heavy, so you have to have the right type of building to support that, or you need to build a new building and, and or retrofit the roof of an, of an existing building to strengthen it. Um, but we are seeing growth in the green roof sec- sector here in New York and in cities around the world um, because of those stormwater benefits that you mentioned, as well mm-hmm. as the other ecological benefits. Um, I'd say that the urban agriculture component is something that more and more people are exploring and we should be seeing a lot of growth in the industry over the coming years. But uh, there is a barrier to entry. You need to know what you're doing. You need to know how to grow food. You need sales outlets for that food. Uh, And then you need to finance the project. And because agriculture, no matter where you're doing it, in the city or out in the countryside, uh, is a pretty low margin, low profit endeavor, it can be hard to get these projects financed from the outset. Right. Um, so we are seeing growth, but it's slow going. And um, there are a few businesses, including ours, that have kind of broken into the market, tested out the concepts and proven them. So now that we've kind of blazed the trail, we are expecting to see more uh, similar projects con- come online behind us. There, Yeah, it seems that there's a lot of potential for growth there, both in sort of the, the need and the benefits, but also just in the fact that uh, the, the opportunity is there. I guess it's always been there, but I guess it's just more in people's um, 
uh, right on people's radar now. Yeah, I think it is. And the people who do find us tend to be really ex- excited and inspired by what we're doing. Uh, and they talk about us. So there's a lot of word of mouth. There's some some videos online and some um, traffic to our website, which seems to be growing uh, more and more every year um, because people see what we're doing and they're really excited by it. And, uh, and, and many, many people, not, not millions, but dozens, I would say. We're going to head on into a break now. And when we come back, we'll continue chatting with Gwen Chance of Brooklyn Grange an urban commercial farm in New York City. I'll be back in a moment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Will you be using a real estate agent soon? It is important to work with up-to-date realtors with advanced knowledge of the ever-changing landscape of real estate. Knowing how things work today is no longer enough. To provide you with the most accurate service and advice, your agent needs to know about tomorrow too. Jessica Stoner stays in contact with current forward-thinking realtors around the world. Visit realestatefuture.ca and Jessica will connect you with a modern professional realtor in your area. Hire Jessica Stoner as a speaker at your next event. Jessica has unique knowledge of both real estate and future studies. With extensive industry experience and education paired with an unquenchable excitement for all things future, she's well positioned to share an assortment of topics about the future of real estate with your group. Jessica's passion and knowledge in her speaking engagements is apparent and thought-provoking and of great interest to a wide variety of audiences. Visit Real Estate Future are you finding your frequency it can be described as that space between failure and success it's the future of digital media it's finding your voice it's engaging topics content and ideas jeff and ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects it's about making the mistakes taking the chances summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try decide to learn decide that you have something to say and find your frequency live fridays at 2 p.m pacific time 5 p.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to The Future of Real Estate with Jessica Stoner. To learn more about the topics on today's show, visit www.realestatefuture.ca. Now, back to the future of real estate. And we're back. We're talking with Gwen Chance of Brooklyn Grange, which is an urban rooftop commercial farm in New York City. Gwen, what kind of things do you grow in your farm? Oh, we grow a wide variety of vegetables, uh, pretty much anything you can imagine seeing at a farm stand or in the produce section of your grocery store, uh, with the exception of um, root vegetables um, and some of the larger, slower growing crops like broccoli and cabbages. Um, We tend to focus on things that are high value and high profit um, and also things that grow quickly 
um, in our in our short-ish growing season. We only grow really from May through October, and we're okay. harvesting food through that period. Um, so you'll see when you come visit our farm, depending on the season, you'll see a lot of salad greens, herbs, uh, onions and garlic, tomatoes, peppers, squash, cucumbers, really a pretty wide array of vegetables. And we like to keep those vegetables diverse, um, both because it's good for our soil and it's good for the ecology of our farm. But it's also good for the people who shop with us at the farmer's market. Uh, we have a number of chefs that we sell to at restaurants throughout the city, and uh, they get really excited by some of the more diverse and interesting things that we grow. And we'll even have chefs occasionally bring us seeds for hmm. specialty crops that they'd like us to grow for them. So okay. we have a really great kind of face-to-face interaction with the end user of our product, who are the, the people shopping at the farmer's market and the chefs at the restaurants, who will give us a lot of feedback and we'll, we'll try to grow things specifically for them whenever possible. Right. Um, besides the farmer's markets, where else do you sell your produce? Uh, we sell wholesale to restaurants. I'd say about 75% of our food goes to these wholesale outlets. So it's restaurants, uh, mostly restaurants that focus on local and su- sustainable foods. Um, and then we have a few smaller grocers that we sell to. Uh, and then we have two far- farm stands uh, and a CSA program. And CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And it basically means that uh, it's a group of members who um, pay us up front in the spring. And then throughout the growing season, they get a weekly bag of vegetables uh, featuring all of the diverse crops that we grow in season. I had one of those once for a local farm near us, and uh, then they um, changed their business plan and wasn't doing that anymore, and I miss it desperately. <laughs> it was well, so fantastic. It's a growing movement, I'd say. The CSA oh. movement is something that more and more people can access now. Even here in New York City, we have office buildings that will uh, treat their employees to CSAs from farms mm-hmm. in the region. So if you are anywhere near a small farm, it's likely that you can access a CSA. Yeah, we we do have a few of them. I just it was so fantastic to have it delivered right to your door. And there was there were crops in there that I didn't know what they were. I had to look them up so I could figure out how to cook them and what to do with them. It was yeah, fantastic. I think that's that's one of the things people really love about CSAs and really about visiting farms and farmers markets in general is you learn about new foods that you may not have been familiar with. And I have many times gone to farmers markets in New York City and elsewhere where I'm, I'll be buying vegetables or meat or cheese and I may not know what to do with it, but I'm intrigued by a, a new food and I ask the farmer who's operating the stand, how do I cook this? And they usually have a number of recipes that they can rattle off the top of their heads. So it's really oh, a excellent. fun conversation. It is. So how do you find your neighbors and the people in the area, how do they respond to having a farm there? Do they have concerns um, or is it mostly positive? It's very positive. I have to say people in New York City have been so supportive of us and we really could not have done what we do uh, in starting our two farms um, without the support of New Yorkers, both our neighbors and community members, the chefs, the food community, uh, and 
as, and additionally, the, the city government, I should say, has been a great supporter of us in a few ways. Um, but in terms of the people who live in the community, or and we have a lot of businesses who are our neighbors, too, inside the buildings where we operate. Uh, sometimes in the beginning, it can be a little rough going when people are just learning learning who we are. They're seeing these dirty farmers trekking Mm-hmm. Uh, tracking dirt through the elevators and right. <laughs> through the building and carrying baskets of vegetables in and out all summer. Um, but it doesn't take long for them to warm up to us. And uh, we really have forged some great partnerships with businesses in our community and, and inside the buildings where we operate. Um, the one thing that we, we have ha- had a little pushback on in the past is our beehives, mm-hmm. which are, are legal and they're healthy and well-maintained and um, we love our beehives. We love the honey that they bring to to us, and we also love that they uh, that they pollinate our plants and they help to incre- increase our prop or excuse me our crop yields uh, across the farms. But um, people do have a fear of bees, whether or not they're allergic. A lot of people have a stigma against them, and and we try to educate people about bees and the benefits of bees and other pollinating insects. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are these can be tough conversations sometimes, but they're conversations that we are eager to have because one of our greatest missions really in New York City is to educate people about farming and about the natural systems that we we take advantage of in producing food for ourselves. You would think with the beehives being so high up on the very top of the roofs, they would affect people very little. Yeah, they're really, um, they really kind of stick to their one mission, which is getting nectar and pollen and getting it back to their hive. So bees are not attracted to people. They're attracted to flowers. And, right. Um, unless you happen to look and smell like a flower, they're going to leave you alone. <laughs> uh, or if you start to mess with their hive, that's when they, that's when they get aggravated and they get protective of their hive and their queen and they might actually sting you. Um, in in our eight years of or seven seasons of farming on our farms, I've only been stung once by a bee, and it was actually a bumblebee that didn't even come from one of our beehives. It was just mm-hmm. in the city. And so, whether there are urban farms or not, we have bees in New York, and it's just part of our local ecosystem. So, uh, we well, all have to learn how to identify them and how mm-hmm. to how to avoid them if if we're afraid of them. But they're also really fascinating creatures. So. We teach a lot of workshops on our farms. We, we have an educational program where we teach uh, cooking classes and natural products classes, teach people how to make their own um, skin creams, and, and uh, we'll do natural dyeing where people can use natural dyes to dye clothing and other cloths. And, um, and one of our most popular workshops that always sells out is our beekeeping workshop. There are so many oh, New Yorkers who are fascinated by bees, so... We're really happy to spread the good word about about our little friends. Well, it definitely seems to be part of what I was um, uh, chatting about in the introduction, where people want that uh, reconnection with the food they eat and how it's grown. And, you know, bees, of course, are part of that. And, you know, you don't think about it. Bees are there, but you don't really think about the use that and, and the importance of it. So, you know, this kind of thing being right in our city has got to help people's awareness expand. Absolutely. It really, it's a great way to kind of bridge that gap between the, the city dwellers and nature. And we, mm-hmm. we have some beautiful parks here in New York City. A lot of people have gardens and more and more people are starting to put gardens on their roofs and on their terraces. And 
whether they're growing food or just flowers or grasses, uh, people really desire connection with nature. It's important for us. It makes us healthier and happier to live around plants and trees. Right. Um, and the city as a whole has really been investing in that and planting more trees and expanding our parks and our community gardens. Um, and we're excited to do our part as a business to build these farms, operate them, and also help other people build and and maintain gardens and farms throughout the city. So is that uh, part of your business plan as well, which is to help other people create their own rooftop gardens? Or do you work with developers so that they can implement community gardens and this kind of thing right from uh, the development stage? Yes, we do. We've built several gardens and green roofs um, for businesses, for for developers, um, both commercial and residential developments. Um, we have a few corporate offices where we've built and we now maintain gardens. Uh, we do a lot of residential homes, individual homes, and then larger developments for condo and apartment buildings. Um, so it really is a great way for us to kind of expand our mission and reach reach beyond the farms with by spreading green space throughout the city. Um, occasionally, we'll consult for clients in other cities, not just in New York, but around the U.S. and really worldwide at this point. We've been consulting for developers and aspiring urban farmers who want to take all of the knowledge that we've we've gained over the past eight years and put it to use for their own projects. Um, and there's a really, I'd say there's a large and growing interest in this kind of um, adaptation of landscaping technology to grow food and also for developers just looking at um, looking at gardens and vegetable farms as an amenity for their mm-hmm. tenants that they may not have seen before. Um, I think there are so many luxury buildings here in New York and around the world that are popping up and they're all trying to outdo each other with new, mm-hmm. better amenities, nicer cafes and gyms and and communal spaces, and uh, the urban farm is just kind of an, an extension of that. Um, so we've been working with a few companies in the U.S. and a couple internationally lately, helping them to figure out not only how to build the best garden or farm for their uh, facility, but also how to program it. Do they want to set it up as a community garden, or do they want to... Uh, rent out individual plots to their tenants or or do they just want to bring in an urban farmer to operate uh, the garden or the farm and then the food from that facility can then be distributed or sold to the people living or working in the building. So there are lots of different opportunities to kind of put these, these gardens and farms into action in a bunch of different ways. Um, and it's that's a really fun part of my job. I get to work on that personally a lot, um, talking to developers and building owners and figuring out how can we best build and program a garden or a farm uh, to enhance and and really best suit the culture of the building. I would love so. to see that in every new development out there. Um, you know, we have a lot of new development in this, in this uh, small town that I live in, in Canmore, Alberta. And every new development should have this. I just wish there was a way to make sure that everyone is introduced to this because um, I do think it's going to be 
something that's going to be the norm in the future and not, um, you know, a benefit or a feature. It's just part of your home. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I think for the most part now, it's these types of projects are driven by individual interest in them and the, and the developer's uh, personal interest or desire to create something new and different to attract people to their buildings. Um, but there are some great government incentives coming online in a few cities. Uh, I know Toronto, for example, has a new law that requires um, all new construction to ha- have either solar or green roofs on their buildings. So as we see new new laws like that coming online, we see it, and we've seen a few of them popping up in cities around the world uh, where green roofs are now being required for all new all new construction. Um, I think there will be more opportunities for this because it will just be, it'll be a, a given for every building that you have to have some sort of green space and, and to turn it into a farm or turn it into a vegetable garden won't be that big of a stretch. What a really, really great uh, eye-opening conversation. I'm, I'm so pleased that you could be with us to talk to us with, about that today. We're just going to head Thanks into a break. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, We're going to head into a break. And when we're back, we'll be talking with Carmen Lamoureux with Urban Farm Permaculture Project in Calgary. And Gwen, thank you for your time today. Thank you. We're, We're just heading into a break now. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Hire Jessica Stoner as a speaker at your next event. Jessica has unique knowledge of both real estate and future studies. With extensive industry experience and education paired with an unquenchable excitement for all things future, she's well positioned to share an assortment of topics about the future of real estate with your group. Jessica's passion and knowledge in her speaking engagements is apparent and thought-provoking and of great interest to a wide variety of audiences. Visit Real Estate Future Will you be using a real estate agent soon? It is important to work with up-to-date realtors with advanced knowledge of the ever-changing landscape of real estate. Knowing how things work today is no longer enough. To provide you with the most accurate service and advice, your agent needs to know about tomorrow too. Jessica Stoner stays in contact with current forward-thinking realtors around the world. Visit realestatefuture.ca and Jessica will connect you with a modern, professional realtor in your area. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are 
listening to The Future of Real Estate with Jessica Stoner. To learn more about the topics on today's show, visit www.realestatefuture.ca. Now, back to The Future of Real Estate. And we're back. We're talking with Carmen Lamoureux with Urban Farm Permaculture Project in Calgary, Alberta. Carmen is the owner and founder of Urban Farm Permaculture Project. She's dedicated to helping emerging gardeners gain the skills they need to live a more abundant and sustainable life. Through Urban Farm Workshops, Carmen offers practical classes and seminars to inspire creative solutions for urban local food production. You can reach Carmen and the Urban Farm Permaculture Project at work. Oh, sorry, and their workshops at urbanfarm.ca. Carmen, thanks so much for being with us today. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Can you give us an idea of what you teach in your urban farm workshops? Oh, certainly. Yeah, we've got a huge variety of workshops that are basically all around, uh, you know, how to gain more sustainability in an urban environment. So that goes from, you know, something like, um, you know, soil health to uh, the basics of urban agriculture, intercropping, crop rotation, mushroom cultivation, composting, absolutely everything you can imagine um, related to urban agriculture, um, we offer. So, and we bring it, we have sort of a team of experts that we bring in to um, host the workshops as well. So, it, it, you know, it's a great variety. We get a lot of different kinds of people with different kinds of needs coming in to basically just reconnect with, you know, what it is to grow food in an urban environment. So, why do people want to reconnect with their food? What's wrong with the way things are now? Well, yeah, good question. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think primarily, um, you know, we're responding possibly to, you know, being in a, living in a time of, of maybe a little more uncertainty. And I think that inspires us to want to create a little more security. And mm-hmm. I think that this is certainly reflected in societal trends towards, um, you know, focusing on more of the basics. So I think uh, the interest in urban farming particularly, I think, you know, number one, it's a lifestyle choice. I think people, you know, they, they want to feel more of connection of where they live, the landscape in which they live. They want to add value. They want to create abundance. Another reason is they want to attain some degree of food security. And, you know, by basically growing local, and there's obviously nothing more local than growing in your own backyard. Mm-hmm. And I think another reason is that they want, um, uh, they want greater levels of food quality. They're, you know, people are concerned about food safety, and they want greater levels of nutrition, higher levels of nutrition in their food. So I see a lot of young families coming in to, to learn, you know, how to take care of the soil so they, they can grow really nutrient-dense uh, food. And, and there's been, you know, so much new science around soil lately that even established gardeners are coming in to take classes on soil health because they mm. want to get re-educated on that. And right. that's wonderful. So I think, you know, as Gwen mentioned, we we all naturally crave more of a connection, not just with our food supply, but with our, with our environment. So I think that those are the main reasons why people want to get, you know, that there's a this rising level of interest. Right. Where do your clients live? Are they in the city? Is it inner city? Is it suburbs? Is it rural? Is it all of it? Well, it's all of it. It's all of it. It depends on the class that we're like. For example, you know, our base, our uh, 
Growing Abundance course, the Fundamentals of Sustainable Urban Agriculture. Mostly those are attended by young, uh, young mothers or fathers, uh, young families who really just want to get the basics, but they want to start right, you know, so they know that they want to grow organically. So right. they want to get educated on that. Um, so we get those mostly um, young urbanites. And uh, and we get a lot of people in su- from suburbs as well. But for example, if we hold a um, a mushroom cultivation, an advanced mushroom cultivation course, we'll get people from all over the province coming in to take a class. And so it's really exciting because there's all where, there's so much interest. Where would people cultivate mushrooms in their home or around their home? Oh, this, it's really a fantastic technology. There's, there's people, uh, like we offer a class on how to build your own mushroom kits, and those would be grown in your home mm-hmm. um, on substrates such as straw, wood chips, or used coffee grounds, which is fantastic. Okay. That's a resource, right? That's available to us. And then um, we're starting to explore more, although it's challenging in our climate, um, using, you know, logs, old logs that have started uh, to become a little more, you know, funky and fungal. We'll want to inoculate maybe shiitake mushrooms on some of the hardwood stuff. So we're experimenting with that here at the project, um, you know, how to how to grow mushrooms in a variety of different ways because okay. it's just another food source. It's really fun. Well, I haven't heard that. That's so interesting. Do you yeah. sell the spores and then people, you know, put them on the log, or how would that work? We have a number of sources for um, for the spores, and um, and so yeah, we have one one of our experts here, Malika. She is originally from Algeria, and her family runs and operates a mushroom cultivation business there. And so she lives in Canada now, and we connected up, and now she comes in and offers classes on this. So. Um, her and her husband both are, are, are engineers, and they understand, you know, the, the chemical aspect very well. And so she comes in and, and really rocks it out of the park with the. Oh, nice. And she provides us with a lot of, of the spores that we use. Oh, fantastic! You know, that would be me getting right back to my roots. <laughs> Many people don't know, but as a teenager, I worked at a mushroom farm and I picked did mushrooms you? for. Oh. I did. <laughs> That's so great! Yeah, we have a lot of fun. It's oh, a pretty fun. popular course. So. You know, people are growing food more in their backyards and their, you know, around their home in the communities. Do you think, does it make sense for other areas to start uh, producing food, such as cities and their natural landscape, like in the parks or, you know, even the trees along the sidewalks? Do you think it will, I mean, is it practical to, instead of that just being a tree, for that to be a fruit tree or, you know, that kind of thing? Absolutely. I, I, I think there's this really magical process that happens with, you know, once we start on the road towards urban farming. And that's, you know, like my front yard is, is completely edible landscape and it's really beautiful. Um, uh, and there's a lot of people who would like to see a lot more community gardens and a lot more larger urban landscapes de- you know, dedicated. And the, the, the point of that is that, you know, we're, we're, we're cha- transforming, let's say, we're positively transforming the physical landscape towards greater productivity. And when it comes to, uh, you know, I'd, I mean, I'd much rather see a field full of food growing rather than a whole bunch of grass, as, as a lot of people yeah. would. But I think in this case, education is really key. You know, mm-hmm. so education is key to, to making urban agriculture much more mainstream. And, and I think when people see that urban agriculture, 
can not only be functional but also really beautiful. And you're actually creating ecosystems. You're not just supporting initial ecosystems, but you're also creating new ecosystems. You know, there's a value inherent in that 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 people might not necessarily understand, but they feel that. And they connect more and more. And the more they start connecting, the more they want to be a part of that. And I think it's really about changing mindset because we, you know, it's funny. Alberta is largely an agricultural province and we're surrounded by all of our big cities. Well, three major big cities are, are, you know, surrounded by agriculture. And yet, even in the city of Calgary, we're really just starting to embrace the concept of urban agriculture and really start mm-hmm. it. So I think that's why the education component is is so very key. And, and I think the magic happens in that as we go about transforming the physical landscape towards greater productivity in our yards and in our neighborhoods and our communities, we're also transforming the social landscape as people right. and communities come together more you know, through the processes of growing food, and it really strengthens the fabric of community and, 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 and the city. So, um, yeah, I, 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 see, I, I see that totally making sense. I, I know we, we all will benefit from, you know, having more connection, um, not only with our landscape, but with one another. And I mm-hmm. think that's part of what makes living in a city so awesome is there, there is a ton of community. Um, but right. there have to be vehicles through which one can access that community, you know, because we're so busy. Yeah. And so, well, know. we had talked a, a little bit about that last week when we were talking about um, co-housing and how people kind of need permission to connect. And, yeah. uh, you know, you're right. Maybe this is a, a way for, for neighbors to be able to connect on a little more of a meaningful level. Um, we're going to head into a break right now. But when we get back, we're going to continue this conversation because it's really quite interesting. Uh, We'll be back in just one moment. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Will you be using a real estate agent soon? It is important to work with up-to-date realtors with advanced knowledge of the ever-changing landscape of real estate. Knowing how things work today is no longer enough. To provide you with the most accurate service and advice, your agent needs to know about tomorrow too. Jessica Stoner stays in contact with current forward-thinking realtors around the world. Visit realestatefuture.ca and Jessica will connect you with a modern professional realtor in your area. Hire Jessica Stoner as a speaker at your next event. Jessica has unique knowledge of both real estate and future studies. With extensive industry experience and education paired with an unquenchable excitement for all things future, she's well positioned to share an assortment of topics about the future of real estate with your group. Jessica's passion and knowledge in her speaking engagements is apparent and thought-provoking and of great interest to a wide variety of audiences. Visit Real Estate Future We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to The Future of Real Estate with Jessica Stoner. To learn more about the topics on today's show, visit www.realestatefuture.ca. Now, back to the future of real estate. We're back, and we're talking with Carmen Lamoureux with Urban Farm Permaculture Project out of Calgary, Alberta. We are talking about urban farming and urban food production, which includes, you know, urban inner city, but also suburban as well. And... We're talking about if we're going to see more food production in municipalities, not necessarily in your garden, but in um, just the flora and fauna that you see in a typical um, city or a park or whatnot. So, Carmen, do you think one of the reasons we aren't seeing that right now is because it's hard to keep food plants and trees and bushes neat and tidy? Well, I, I would imagine that. You know, when we look at the way we are currently landscaping our cities, um, I think there obviously needs to be a re-education of the municipal landscape designers as well. Right. There is this very, very defined idea about what landscapes should look like in, a, in an urban environment whether the, or a suburban environment. And, and I think... Um, I think there's a lovely balance that can be attained. It doesn't have to be either manicured lawns and low-maintenance perennials or a large open field of nothing but cauliflower, cabbage, and carrots, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, that there's, a, there's a beautiful um, challenge that we're presented with here, an opportunity to, to create beautiful hybrid-type landscapes that, you know, allow for access, um, allow for green space, you know, and, and bring people more more into uh, food production zones in a way that is really beautiful. And I think that's our, that's our goal, um, at least the way, you know, when we do designs for community gardens and, and, um, and homeowners, we always, always, always want to incorporate beauty because we do live in a city. We want to find ways to, um, you know, to, to make it accessible emotionally also for people, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's, that that's a key um, element. And so, yeah, you know, I, I, think, I think gardens can be messy. I mean, we've got a lot of soil and we've got, you know, different plants at different levels. And you can have a lot of chaos in that system. Um, if if it's not managed properly, but there's so many new ways to uh, cut down on work, and the soil will you know co- is covered with mulch, and 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 you've got multiple species existing together in a space that they all kind of take care of each other. So, you know, yes, having a garden is a lot of work, um, but it it's minimized with smart smart strategy. So, right. I think it's just that we're not used to. We're not, you know, we, we haven't yet redefined what urban landscaping should look like. And, and, and I think that that's, that's a beautiful challenge that, that we face. You know, I think people would adapt pretty quickly if uh, we did move that way. Um, as I mentioned, I'm in Canmore, Alberta, and this is a small mountain town. And we 
um, most people are in this area because they don't want to cut lawns and it's just not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, part of what people want. So we have a lot, even some of the neighborhoods have it um, written right into the um, architectural guidelines that it's a natural landscape. So you right. go up there, there's no yard, there's trees and bushes and, and you know, rabbits running around and it's natural and it's it's attractive, even though it's in no way manicured. So I think the food production, or not in production, just the food plants, um, mm-hmm. people would adapt to them very quickly, even though it's not manicured. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that, like I said, food production can be beautiful and it can be managed in a way that it it just, because these are just plants, you know, after yeah. all. Um, and so you were kind of, you know, substituting, and especially, I um, mean, we're not going to get into a permaculture conversation here too much today, but, but when you're using those principles of permaculture, you're creating, you're creating productive ecosystems, and so those become very beautiful, you know, and, and again, beauty yeah. is in the eye of the beholder, but yes, you know, there, there would be an adjustment that would have to be made. Do you think, um, because, you know, we're just kind of exploring you know, is this going to be something that will be the norm in the future? And so you have to look at why it might not be. And do you think do, another reason that it's not the norm right now is that, um, and maybe not in all areas, but in a lot of areas, it'll attract wildlife. And maybe wildlife you don't necessarily want, such as, again, in, in my area, uh, bears. Right. Yes, there are definitely challenges in, in mountain and foothill environments where you where you do you do have a lot more zones of interaction. And uh, and I think there are strategies for dealing with that. In our urban environment, I mean, even where I live in the southwest of the city, uh, we have small herds of deer that come through regularly and, of course, lots of rabbits and that sort of thing. But our plant choices uh, for the edible landscape in the front, you know, um, reflect that um, that reality. So right. well, the deer come around, but they're not really super interested in what I've got going on in the front yard. Uh, they, you know, they like to come through because it's a beautiful green space. Right. There are things that they nibble on, but they're not things that I really mind. And I have, right. with my permaculture background, I have a lot of strategies that I use to mask the scent of maybe more um, desirable forage hmm. plant for them. So it's really, oh, that's fascinating. Really kind of a game we play with each other, and and it's and it's and it's interesting. So I think there are opportunities. I mean, in our city, we we don't get a lot of uh, bear activity, although we've okay. got a number of ravines where they where they you know we do get black bear sightings coming coming through, but they don't really come right into our um, densely populated urban environment. So, you know, the, the there are lots of strategies for, for deer uh, control, but um, not so many effective ones for, for bear. Okay. And I don't think it's a big problem for the majority of um, urban centers. It was just because right. it's, you know, something that is relevant in my town. I, I thought of that. Right. And Do you see this being the way of the future that you know we're not going to grow all of our own food in our backyard but you know are we going to have it as the norm that um you know communities are developed with an urban garden and that's just the norm now or people will be having balcony um uh, you know gardens and pots and that kind of thing as the norm oh i i absolutely see us moving in that direction i don't really think this is just a you know, a societal trend per se. I think that it's a, a, it's a lasting 
trend that's that's brought about by we talked about you know a number of reasons, but I mean t- totally, I definitely see a greater demand um, for small space, um, you know, inf- you know garden information on how to grow small space gardens and balcony gardens, container gardening, rooftop gardenings, vertical growing systems, and and I mean more and more. I mean last year I think um, the amount of consultations that I did is well over doubled than I did this year as mm. I than I did last year. So <clears throat> I think people really just want they they just want a little more sovereignty over their own food supply because mostly because of that uncertainty. Um, not really knowing um, you know what the future holds. People are kind of returning to maybe just having a little more common sense about what, where their food supply comes from and and understanding that you know by by taking a little control over that, they're building resilience and mm-hmm. which I think, you know, uh, just very common sense but and I also think you know um, in I think in the future developers, you know, they're going to start getting a little more on track with the growing interests in urban farming and, and, and understanding the demographic and start setting aside more and more space for, for, you know, for community gardens and also urban farms. And especially when you've got population density, um, you know, it's not everybody that's going to want to, to garden, but, but there will be some and there will be as the demand grows, you know, the they'll be able to basically use that as a selling point. So I'm not saying that it's right. going to be just because they're doing the right thing for the right reason. Obviously, there's got to be some kind of payback. But um, I, I think there is, you know, designing communities that embrace this lifestyle, and that's really what it is, you know, communities that allow for large-scale rainwater harvesting for maybe, you know, even raising chickens, create, you know, creating that feeling of abundance. Is going to is going to build a much healthier city all the way around, and I think that that's that's key. You know, um, we we're we're part of an ecosystem, whether we whether we admit it or not, whether we understand it or not. So, in other words, what kind of ecosystem do we want to surround ourselves with? And so we've got our you know we've got our population ecosystems, and we've got our social ecosystems, and then we've got our natural ecosystems. And so, mm-hmm. you know. Embracing all those dimensions of what it is to live in a city, um, I think, is going to become increasingly more important as people want to live just more balanced and whole lives. And uh, and so, yeah, I definitely, I mean, I certainly hope that it's going to be, you know, a continuing trend. And uh, and because I can't see how um, I can't see how we can survive without that connection. Um, and also. Uh, you know, as far as creating positive lifestyle for ourselves and our children, it, it seems like like that's the right direction to go in. I think you're right. I have to agree with you. So, Carmen, we're just getting to the end of our time here. But if you are interested in learning more about the Urban Farm Permaculture Project and the workshops that Carmen does... Uh, visit urbanfarm.ca and you can learn more about uh, what she teaches about permaculture and what what uh, courses they have that they're offering. Feel free to listen in next week as well. We'll be discussing tiny homes and it's on Wednesday, 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, the show, The Future of Real Estate is every Wednesday at the same time. Carmen, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Jessica. You're welcome. You can visit realestatefuture.ca for more information on today's show. 
and on the guest on the show. And I'll see you next week. We hope you've enjoyed and have been inspired from today's edition of the Future of Real Estate. Be sure to join Jessica Stoner again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week. 